Welcome, caller. You're on the line with the calls that are coming from inside the podcast, an exploration of the human side of horror. Each week, we call a unique guest and ask them about one horror movie that left its mark on them. Together, we do a deep dive into our guest's personal connection to find out what horror feels like. I'm Kevin Sparrow, and this week, we're feeling spoofy. We're going to keep rolling with our horror comedy month theme for April to talk about perhaps the earliest slasher parody on record, 1981's Student Bodies. Artist Christian Vernal joins us to make sure we don't miss a joke in the gag-a-minute laugh riot that is this pure movie. Then we're going to follow it up with another mind-bending 80s film, 1988's Flesh-Eating Mothers. I think there'd be a number, a number to call, um, share your urgent horror thoughts. Get in. Get yeah. us, yeah, get us in. Here we go. We're going to, I'm going to do my best because I feel like, love this movie, love talking about it. I'm going to be just trying to avoid quoting everything. Really exciting. Uh, like that's part of, it's, it's like a, uh, it's like airplane. That's the best part. This is one of those movies like, when, when you know when people post that like um, what are what are quotes you have for movies that nobody ever knows there are a ton of quotes from this movie uh, nobody knows that I just the fact that you were like you knew it amazed me um, uh, I can't say you run into somebody personally who knew this movie besides me and and there's quotes from this movie I I used to say all the time that that everyone just looked at me weird because of nobody knew them. <laughs> Right, because it's like, what do you, what does that mean? Right, right. But we're going to get into that in a second. So awesome. welcome to you, to the calls are coming from inside the podcast. I'm here today with Christian Bernal, who is a tattoo artist, comedian, musician, just an all-around, I don't know, a well-established artist, artist across platforms. Comedy artist, musical artist, put stuff on your body artist. Really excited to have you here. If you want to find more of his work, you can go to the com or his band camp site, and you'll find a lot of really exciting things there. Today, I'm really excited. So we're in the midst of our horror comedy month. So of course, you know, a comedian coming in <laughs> would be a... A big get, right? But I guess my starting point for that is, speaking of the genre as a whole, are you a fan of horror in general, or do you feel like you lean more towards horror comedy as a genre? I, it's weird, because I, I grew up, I feel like I grew up on horror. You know, mm-hmm. there's just like, if I had to talk about movies that were like influential to me, it would be those, the things that we, we consider classic, like... Uh, What's it called? Uh, night or not the Nightmare on Elm Street, but American Werewolf in London. Mm. Um, the John Carpenter's The Thing. Those were like really formative movies. But then there's also like movies that <laughs> that I I feel like those had a big impact on me because I remember they scared the shit out of me. But then there were also movies that had like elements of horror or just 
a little bit of I don't know a little bit of weirdness to them. And so there was a but it was also spoofy and funny. Like I I was thinking I was five years old and my sister gave me like the the soundtrack to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm. Uh, I was probably six or seven when I uh, when I got to see the movie uh, Phantom of the Paradise, and that was like that became like our like our whole family loved that movie. <laughs> and uh, that's a wild family movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then and then as growing up, uh, that that's what that's what we did as as uh, through my teenage years was you know we'd hang out. I played in a band, so we'd play music and get high, and then we'd sit around and watch horror movies. You go to the fucking video store and you know go through their what haven't we seen yet? What looks scary? What's uh like at the time? I mean, you could buy heavy metal albums just by what was on the cover. You didn't mm-hmm. have to hear anything. Was on the cover, and this is the same thing with horror movies. You just looked at the cover, and you didn't have to read a synopsis or anything. You just picked up a movie, and that's what we did. So all that crap from the eighties and seventies, uh, we watched it all. And but now I, I don't know if it's because I'm uh, as you get older, you know the tricks. You know, like uh, it's uh, like there was a point where I wanted to be a makeup effects artist, and I got Tom Savini's book, and and that's what I wanted to do. But uh, but you know how everything happens, and eventually you know that it's fake or whatever and it stops to it's having that same effect on you i i can't think of any horror movie after the 90s that had any sort of the last movie i can remember that that gave me any sort of creep like that i actually felt was blair witch project okay and like i remember seeing yeah, Blair, yeah, it so it ended at the turn of the millennium. Yeah, I I said I made a point I was going to watch that alone in the dark and I just remember sitting there and afterwards there was that nice like Lovecraftian sort of oh my god, you know, you want to look around and turn the lights back on kind of deal. Yeah. Great, but no, I, I nothing else that you know since then. I mentioned Lovecraft and and that he's like I'm I'm a Lovecraft fanatic and and there's I don't read much now or right, now when i do read it's non-fiction because i feel like he ruined me for all other fiction <laughs> <laughs> you're really looking for an existential crisis every time you, you pick uh, up a book make me dread make me yeah. believe something fair enough so, so i don't know what to say now i was a horror fan um but now i kind of feel like i don't know if i'm devolving or what but now everything i watch is is just complete escapism so it's like all the Marvel movies over and over again and any time any kind of action movie is what gets me now but And that's totally fine. Really? I'm not I'm not seeking out uh, horror purity or anything like that. Right, right. like it's more it's really interesting to hear that journey of right a lot of the people that I do talk to who are really into horror did grow up with it right and that was like this long time love affair but some people come to the genre later sometimes you know, you just have a very specific, it fit a very specific part of your life. And now it does. Yeah. And that's fine, too. One of the first comedy bits I did on stage was about, like, The the Walking Dead, I think, was starting around that mm. time as well. And and I never, I, I think I tried to watch the show, but I didn't get into it. And my thing was, like, I'm watching these movies. I'm not watching these movies for the human drama. What I'm watching, <laughs> specifically for these over-stereotypical characters that I can relate to people in my life and, and, and watching them die in horrible ways. And that's, that's it. I, I didn't want any, I, I didn't need to know if they were happy or not or, or 
what their relationships were like. I feel, I feel like we were specifically going for that dopamine rush of watching something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, maybe they need to make a Return of the Living Dead series. Yeah. That's <laughs> Just a bunch of punks and weirdos in a graveyard. Yeah. It works out perfectly. Well, do you end up doing a lot of horror tattoos? Do people come in requesting those? I'm just curious about like how often that the thing in your life. It's not as much as I would like. Mm. <laughs> I do have a few clients that they come to me specifically for that, and I feel completely lucky when they come in. And I know there are people out there who do nothing but that, but for some reason, uh, I just end up doing a lot of different stuff. But but there are those that come in for horror. Not a lot of new horror though. It's always like sort of random skull gross satany kind of things or <laughs> old horror, like like bride of frankenstein frankenstein oh. uh creature stuff like that that's way older than i was expecting yeah. i would have expected a lot of 80s maybe 70s movies. we do get uh i've got one kid that that gets these little like They'll always be, you know, maybe maybe three inches around, but it'll be like Chucky and Michael and, and Jason. Okay. But yeah, for the most part, I want to say it, it's all old-timey horror or uh, vampire-related kind of stuff. So like a lot, a lot of the vampire bites, so it looks like you've been bitten. Or, oh. And around Halloween, you'll do some ghosts. That's about it. Interesting. I have to do a survey um, and find out. What's going on with the horror tattoo community? But that's great. So this movie that we're going to talk about today was a, a big staple of cable TV yeah. in the 90s. That was the big place it got its, I don't know, its start, its cult status. Um, that's where I... USA Up All Night, maybe yeah. Comedy Central, I think it was on there at one point. Really? Wow. So, yeah, like you said, that was where you first... Yeah, came to see Student Body. Yeah, you know, it was like Go or Max or Movie Time, whatever one of those first cable channels was. And I remember seeing it several times, uh, you know, especially as a kid. So I don't know if people will remember, but it it wasn't like, uh, you know, just picking what you want. Uh, I mean, for reference, it was they just ran a schedule of movies all day. Mm -hmm. And some reason that one ended up in there several times. Yeah, Yeah. it's a really curious it's an odd movie so student bodies just to give a a quick background it's a 1981 spoof of slasher movies it tells you what it is right away there's a title card that comes on the screen that says last year 26 horror movies were released Uh, none of them lost money so (laughs) that's the setup that's that's the premise right i mean this is more of a slasher movie kind of uh, <laughs> starts out breaking the fourth wall, right? Right, and it stays in that mode. Although I guess it it breaks the fourth wall in just a few places. Most of it is it's internally consistent, right? As a right, <laughs> it's got its own well, thing the, going on. Yeah, um, the killer, um, and then uh, there's a part in the middle too when they when they're like they want to make sure they get an R rating, so they're so they're like to ensure an R rating. Fuck you. Right. <laughs> yes, I'm gonna add that that audio in here hopefully soon. It's perfect. Yeah, it comes in exactly I think about twenty eight minutes into the movie. So they explain why they don't why they wouldn't get an R rating without these things. 
hilarious. But yeah, like we said at the top, I think it's going to be difficult to talk about the movie without kind of like quoting it or talking about all the gags. So if we get into those gags, great. But mostly I just wanted to talk about the, the love for this movie specifically and then the kind of spoof movie genre. This is from an era where I really appreciate and enjoy the spoof uh, of things. So this movie fits really well because it's like very silly and absurd and also horror, right? It's in the horror genre, which is something for me that I'm just not that interested in. But I don't think modern movies in this vein do it very well. It's all very, I don't know, crass, dumb. Yeah, for yeah, me, yeah. I don't love it as much. So I don't know what happened in the in the like twenty years between this movie and the kind of start of the two thousands era, where they're making fun of every type of movie. But right. they lost the touch. Someone lost the touch. Uh, uh, part of it could be just trying to differentiate from from that. Mm. It's not like I want to blame them, but I mean, uh, uh, the Wayne's brothers like scary movie franchise was at least to me like very direct departure from the airplane sort of vein of comedy which this right. was very uh, kind of dominated the 80s or or late 70s exactly so it feels yeah definitely very era specific but also yeah. in some ways i don't know if i want to say ahead of its time but <laughs> a little bit because it was coming in right at the very start of the slasher boom that happened throughout the the 1980s, right? The slasher craze was just beginning, right? Halloween kicked it off in 1978. And then as they said, I mean, that's, (laughs) the movie is literal at the beginning. There was, by the time that this was released in 1981, there were 26 other very similar slasher films that were released, most of them around holidays. Um, The movie also makes fun of that right away. It cuts from its opening shot of the outside of this house with three different cards uh, about what day it is. Halloween and also Friday the 13th. And And also Jamie Lee Curtis's Friday. (laughs) And that house, like that house could be the one from Halloween. It could be the one from Friday, uh, uh, not Friday the 13th, but Nightmare on Elm Street. (laughs) Yeah, it is every horror movie house, and the, and I don't remember the uh, the actress's name. She was never in anything else, but but if you listen to that, <laughs> she is she's the voice for every every eighties horror movie girl. <laughs> like you could dub her voice into any other movie. Oh, our main girl Toby. She yeah, she has a very specific. Maybe she watched a bunch of those horror movies. Maybe not. It's very. It it it's like you said. She has that very specific. Very inflection. Oh yeah, every everything about about the way she paces her paces the words. You're right. It, it, I think it was a bit ahead of its time. It just doesn't seem quite like it because I I'm thinking it's just budget. It it, it looks cheap and, right. and it. And some parts don't, it, it just fails, you know, in production wise, because I'm, I mean, I obviously didn't have the money, but I mean, if it had money, I think it could have been a lot tighter and, and, and better. And, and what I think, you know, obviously would have been received better. Like, I don't know though, for me, I'm like, I'm not sure I need it to be better. Like there's, a, 
<laughs> there's still an element of camp to it. There's the element of it being just like put together by these people who wanted to do a thing. Also at the time, what might have been a struggle, not just production-wise, because this is a Paramount uh, distributed film, at least. So they probably got some money from that. But this was also coming up against a writer's strike that oh. happened in 1981. So I wonder if there are things that they weren't able to complete before they had to start shooting. So that always that always changes. Goes back to the years of the writer's strikes and see what was happening <laughs> in in your movies and TV. But yeah, this is directed by Mickey Rose, who was a TV writer and worked with Woody Allen on some of his early films. So someone who definitely has had a big hand in comedy. This isn't just like a fresh up and coming <laughs> director person. Someone who's who's established in comedy not as much in horror and so i think that that shows too but it is really interesting to me how much what we talk about the tropes of the slasher film are are present in this movie and it wasn't something that was discussed at the time right all of that the virgin like the final girl has to be a virgin and if you have sex you die and like those kind of standard things you expect from the slasher film are already being pointed out, even if they're not talked about kind of more widely. So I guess that's where I think it is coming from and in the ahead of the time nature that perhaps even this film led up to a lot of those discussions. Maybe. I honestly think that's why I didn't like Scream like a lot of people do. Uh, mm. I was like, this has already been done, you know, but <laughs> funnier Dude, did it. there was another movie that came out around that time uh named pandemonium it was kind of okay. silly um i loved that one too and that was outrageous what's pandemonium uh it's another uh kind of another you know horror these kids go away to school to like a private school a private if i'm correct it's like a cheerleader school okay this killer comes private in cheerleader school right right <laughs> Um, Judge Reinhold was in it. He he used to be in a bunch of things in the eighties. We probably haven't seen him in forever. One of the Smothers brothers was in it. Mm-hmm. I want to say there there was somebody else too. Um, I don't I can't I don't remember if Leslie Nielsen made a made an appearance, but that one had a little bit of a better production value and and had some other actors from the eighties that you would recognize from other you know little crap parts here and there. Mm. Little crap part. Yeah, yeah. That's what my mom calls me. No. <laughs> Um, great. I will add that to my list. But yeah, there's just something about that that era that just sticks with you. And maybe we'll get into some more as we go along. But as we mentioned, the movie has you know a bunch of title cards coming up. We also start with kind of a point of view shot of the killer. Can you tell us a little bit about the killer in this movie? He's the breather. Uh, oh. <laughs> That's, and that's what I do. That that's one of my things I used to do. I would be, oh, he's the breather. One one of the lines in the movie is, or the trope is him walking around and you seeing his feet and he'll step on gum over and over. And mm, so much gum, right? And as a kid, it made me roll because you know at some point he's like, ah, I wish I could kill the kid with the gum. Yeah, and, and so that, that was one of my lines. I'd say when I seen someone chewing gum and nobody would get. But yeah, it's from his point of view. You're always seeing his shoes or his hands. And there's that shot that we, you know, every 
for a slasher film at the time had done it. Yeah. I always hear the breathing. Sometimes it was just the point of view with some music. Sometimes it was just some nature sounds or, or, or the sounds of the people he was watching. They definitely played with that and, and made it a lot more fun than the other movies did. Yeah. And like Scream, it does start off with a, a girl at Home Alone house sitting i guess not babysitting but yeah yeah watching that's... someone's house while these yeah. folks are i don't know what's all going on there <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit unclear but that's okay but she gets these harassing phone calls from from the breather and it gets real wild i like it that phone is very insistent it's ringing a it's lot up and down eventually the breather calls and he's you know, so uh, into it that the drool starts coming through the phone itself. <laughs> it's a, a lot of real wild sight gags. We can still kind of hear the breather anytime he's coming through the phone. That's also a thing that I wanted to pick up on because I think it is pretty tightly constructed. Like, they don't let things go. The joke builds throughout the movie. So the the breather on the phone is a thing that's very important. Yeah. I'll pull that out here. Like it's also very important to this podcast because one of those those later phone calls is our ending, our little beat at the end of each episode cool. when he calls the school. We'll get to that. <laughs> so I I really appreciated that rewatching at this time of like how much of the jokes follow through and have an arc of their own. But we get that opening scene, right? You always have to have a longer opening scene to establish what's going. And I think this one is long, as long as the opening of Scream, if not longer. It's about 12 minutes. Really? Yeah. For some reason, I remembered it pretty shorter. And, and when I rewatched it, I felt like, oh my God, this is like, it was, it felt really long. It goes on because the girl at the beginning, Julie, she is taking these phone calls and she goes to the kitchen to get some chicken. Yes. <laughs> And her her boyfriend jumps out at her. So we have like an early, you know, one of those fake out scares. Although I don't think any of the scares are particularly scary in this movie. Until maybe towards the end. There's a few things that I'm like, okay, that's, <laughs> that's scary enough. Her boyfriend kisses her and says, ooh, what's that chickeny taste? Uh, I, I love it. It's perfect. Like, there's just so many random non sequiturs yeah. of, of, like, why is this in here? And so then, of course, they're going to go upstairs and, and get it on, which is the uh, age right. thing to do. Yeah, that is that is this movie in a nutshell. The line I remember him saying the most is, you're, Julie, you're not responding to my manliness. <laughs> yes. I, even as a kid, that, that cracked me up. Now, like, now that I'm older, it still fucking makes me roll. Because she's unfortunately been murdered by paperclips. Yeah. <laughs> After he opened up the armoire to, to reveal every killing instrument that you could want, he took the paper. Yeah, I love a, an armoire full of weaponry. We've got an axe, we've got a rope, a gun, a knife, a machete type of weapon, all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Paperclips. you got to use what's uh, available to you and buys adapt overcome yeah oh yeah after a long excursion up the stairs and getting caught on gun <laughs> uh having trouble yeah. breathing all the way up there uh, murders julie with the paper cliffs and then stuffs the boyfriend in a, a black garbage bag 
Because you'll die in a matter of minutes if you're, if you're <laughs> hide in a uh, garbage bag. The scene continues from there with the people, the house owners, coming home yeah. from wherever they are. And they've been out to see a movie, which they did not like. Yeah, they left early. They thought it was stupid trash. Yeah. The woman says, where is that girl? And her husband says, I hope she wasn't murdered in our bed. So random. But this guy is very funny. Like, their whole dynamic, I think, is really great. I don't know. There's just something about this moment that's just so funny to me. I think just, like, the wife is very, like, high-pitched. There's a lot of, like, nervous tension coming in. The husband rubber bands the chicken back together, puts it in the fridge. Yeah. If I'm correct, they're, they're paying her 75 cents an hour. <laughs> yes. All this for 75 cents an hour. I don't think so. And then the first thing you get from them is that she didn't wash the dishes. Great bit. The wife is pointing to the, the dishes, yeah. screaming, because we hear a scream, and then we find out she's screaming because the dishes weren't done. And she just has her finger out, and the husband says, you hurt your finger? <laughs> I'll wash the dishes. <laughs> like, yeah. his totally oblivious, just deadpan, trying to figure out what's going yeah. on. It's amazing. But they go upstairs and then do find the bodies. That's the body reveal of the girl with these paper clips sticking out of her face. Very silly looking. And the, the black garbage bag. And the wife is very calm about this, right? Like that, <laughs> the dead bodies don't really phase her. The husband shrieks. And we cut to their, their funeral on the big day. And it is a very big day in this, this town. Where, wherever USA. The movie was filmed in Texas, but I wouldn't say there's a particular Texas flavor. Not at all. Film. Not at all. It seems very Midwest, if anything. Yeah, which is what we were going for right. in the in the 80s, I guess. The principal of Lamab High School tells us about, it. you know, he's sad about the funeral on the big day, the day of the big parade, the big football game, the big <laughs> dance. So, for whatever reason, this last school day for the school is also the day of every big thing in their town, right? So, they have prom. It's the last football game, for some reason, at the end of June. Parade prom, football game. What more do you need? Right. It happens everywhere. Yeah. We also get our, our second couple not heeding the advice of their right. movie forebears and going to have sex in a car right outside the funeral as everyone is watching them yeah. run off. Very silly. Here's where we get the first, uh, you know, like the first recalling joke where, where he tells her, funerals get me hot. Yeah. yeah. And then every time they're going to have sex, it's like, whatever gets me hot. <laughs> it's always the silliest shit. It is very silly. Like, whatever. <laughs> Whatever's going on, that gets me hot. But it pays off in the right. end in a, I don't know, it, like, it's very funny each time because it's always the most ridiculous things. But then it pays off in the end because Toby eventually takes it back and says, Bori gets me hot, which is very sweet. <laughs> Unexpectedly, I suppose, for this movie, which is it's just goofy. Also at the funeral is the first time we see What's the dude's name? The big gangly guy. Harold? The stick? Uh, Malbert. Malbert. That's it. Yeah. That's the first thing he... Oh, Malbert. Sex kills. Sex kills. And the principal stops and like, you don't, you don't want people to get suspicious. 
I, I'm assuming that guy was never in a movie again because I'd remember him. That was like he's an unmistakable character. Just well, yeah. To describe Malvert, he's a, just a big, he like gangly he dude, six to like six five to seven foot, abnormally long arms and large hands, <laughs> with a like a, a proportionally small head and like poke bottle, yeah, yeah. glasses. So just a very interesting character. We love Malvert. Yeah. Just very wild. But this is where our, our horse heads come into play. <laughs> so the wooden horse head bookends are going to be a big <laughs> recurring thing in this movie for no reason. Why? Why the horse head? I think this would be one of the major quotable things that I will say from time to time. Really? <laughs> it's just horse heads. Horse head. Horse head. <laughs> Uh, in junior high, it was like 85, so it wasn't that far from the movie, and we were making like, what you call, you know, we were some kind of book holder, and I know I would say to the, I would say to the teacher, like, or his head bookends, and he had no clue what I was talking about. <laughs> I just seem like now I think about it, it's just this weird kid going, horse head bookends. Can we make some horse head <laughs> bookends today? But yes, yeah, somehow the killer... It kills this unlucky girl with a horse mm-hmm. head, a wooden horse head bookend. I'm going to give you horse head is actually the specific <laughs> line. <laughs> That's very goofy. And that almost does no justice to this scene, because then you have her all sort of spread eagle and wide-eyed, <laughs> wide-eyed with this yeah. on her face. Oh, and the boyfriend had told her, it was like, I'll be right back. Don't start without me. And then when he comes back, Oh, you started without <laughs> right. Like, started what? What do they think is going on? I let, it's so funny how I. I mean, this is also I think making fun of the tropes where people like discover someone's dead and like don't realize they're dead at first or whatever. But they're very clearly dead, <laughs> and it takes them like forever to recognize yeah. it. You look horrible. <laughs> Gets that a lot. The movie kind of continues on, and they go back to school um, after the funeral. We go on. There's like this one recurring bit that gets set up here that I just don't, I don't really find that funny. I guess I, uh, I'm questioning what is supposed to be funny about it. Um, <laughs> this is the, the the main part of the movie that I'm like, eh, we could do without this, which is kind of making fun of people with disabilities, right? There's a blind guy and a guy in a wheelchair. And that, like, the joke is that, like, they hate each other, but are also, like, Best of- doing all these things together, right? So it's, I guess the juxtaposition is supposed to be funny that, like, this blind guy can't see anything, but he's stuck with this guy who can't walk I'll never anywhere. be able to sleep with a woman again, and the, bl- and the, the blind guy's like, I'll never be able to see a woman again. That's- yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, this is definitely one of those. I mean, people say it all the time, so it sounds silly, but this is definitely one of those movies where there was shit in there that we could not get away with today. Yeah, well, I think you could, in the sense of uh, nowadays, if you were to do it, you would probably consult with disabled people and Maybe. have something funny that also comes from a place of truth. I think that's that would be the only remedy. I would Eventually, think. they had the black. Um, foreign exchange student from Africa, right? Don't they call him boy? Mm. And then they they yeah. kill him. That's how we find out, you know, people die in a plastic bag because they tie him up in, in the plastic. Yeah, try to get out. It's very 
silly. Yes. I think right there, there is some of that too, of just the like casual racism of that era that is in there. But I guess it, to a degree, it doesn't feel that mean spirited. It feels more like it's just coming from like this is all right. Like, the time, like that. Yeah, that's a lot of how the time was, which isn't a good thing. It just is like it's not a major focus of the movie either. Right, right. But there are other weird, like little hints at disabilities throughout the movie which which was really strange to watch because i like watching it this time like yeah we have that forefronted joke of these these two characters but also the principal has a hearing aid that's pretty visible throughout the movie and there's one section near the end where the bottom right hand of the screen comes up and the killer who has these green dishwashing type of plastic gloves throughout his the hands just pop up and is doing asl over <laughs> the dialogue between kobe and hardy for no reason there's just random asl which is kind of cool and interesting <laughs> i did not remember yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's when they're getting into the uh costumes from Greece. <laughs> their dialogue is being interpreted in into asl very strange moment but but we get that, that's where we find out about where the Horsehead mm. bookends come from, right? Because then they're in the shop class with the awful <laughs> woodshop teacher, who's very suspicious, of course. Get laid. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so we get that kind of set up. I'm just going to run through some of these, these parts. We get, of course, like the gratuitous girls locker room scene. Yeah. But I think, obviously, it's presented very satirically. Right. As the movie explains, there's no nudity, there's no excessive violence or anything in it. That's why we have our R rating uh, situation. But yeah, it's kind of about the point of view of the breather watching these girls in the locker room and making fun of kind of that yeah. leering nature of just everything that was at that time. Right. And that wasn't just horror movies, there's a lot of those. Like Porky's and all the like, the sex comedy stuff from that era was very much about leering at women. For some reason, I guess if that's your thing, I feel like uh, like the comedies of that time, like you know, like especially Porky's. You know, I mean, that was for some reason that was set like <laughs> in the fifties. You know, but it was a movie from the eighties. Or uh, mm-hmm. and I think there was a lot of that where like this these sort of fifties. Like, we were still making fun of shit that was, like, 20 or 30 years old at that time. Whereas now, mm-hmm. the, when people are satirizing stuff, it's sat, it's more relevant and modern. And we're actually, now now they're actually satirizing what's going on now, as opposed to old ways. Yeah, and it's easier to do that in some ways, I feel like, just because you have access to the internet, you have access to... Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, right? It's just easier to have a model for how to make fun of those things versus there was a very specific system for doing that back even all the way through the 80s, right? So in some ways, the 80s can feel as dated as the 50s, 60s, or 70s because it still is. It still was a very analog yeah. time, lest we forget. Yeah, some of my favorite sequences are coming up. I, the parade scene is a lot of fun. 
you know, just a, a random parade through the middle of the town. The breather has joined the marching band. And don't go into it looking for anything consistent <laughs> about where the killer can be. Like, the whodunit of it right, makes right. no sense, really, <laughs> ultimately. Because, like, we see characters. We see the characters who eventually end up being the killers. Spoiler alert. Before Scream did it, we had two killers in Student Bodies. But they're on screen doing other things while we see the the breather doing other stuff. <laughs> it's very strange. The, right before the, if I'm correct, right before the march or, or parade is, there's another one of my favorite quotes from that movie. Uh, enough senseless killing. Let's, let's have some murders that make sense. <laughs> yes. Yes. The principal gives us that. Also, lovely day for a parade or a murder, yeah. says Mrs. Van Dyke, who is hands down my favorite character. I love her. She was having a blast in this movie. What's in a name? Everything. What's in a name? <laughs> but she's so good. I don't know. Like, my favorite, I guess, actors or, like, things in this movie are the people who are not really necessarily taking it seriously so there's not like they're not really yeah. heightened performances but they're also not like terribly lazy they're just like they're really sort of relaxed and, like fitting in so she's very funny and again you can hear mrs van dyke at the end of our, our <laughs> at the end of the episode in our, our, our little tag we also see the prom queen candidates because that's part of it too all the girls yeah. who are getting killed are somehow also the prom queen Candidates plus Barry, our boy. I don't remember candidate. the girl's name who who thinks she's going to be the prom queen. Oh, Patty. Yeah, there's another line where she's like something about like she's got a cyanide capsule already at the first sign of aging. Oh yeah, yeah, because she is beautiful and the other girl is not. What does she say? That part. Oh yeah, because I'm beautiful yeah. and you're hideous, is what she tells this other girl. <laughs> But we get another couple being murdered, Ralph yeah. and Dagmar. Sometimes I was good about getting the names down, sometimes I wasn't. But they go inside the big bowl. Is it just Dagmar only a 70s and 80s name? I, I have not heard that. It might be. It might be. Uh, it was only invented <laughs> for the movie. Well, there, there's a, there was a Dagmar that would come up in Frank Zappa's you know, songs as well. I could see that. But they're going to go get it on inside this, this bowl float. Because, as we know, hollow bulls get me hot, as, as Ralph right, who does explained. It? In this case, Dagmar gets killed right, by right. an eggplant. The murder weapon changes in screen. Which makes it circle to today with our, uh, the way we use text messaging. Oh, the eggplant emoji. Right, it, it goes back in time to make that more relevant. It was very silly and probably not that thought through at the time. Maybe, I don't know. But, right, part of the movie is about a fear of sex and sexual repression, right? The movie is very specific yeah. about that. It does get that point across, I think, pretty well. <laughs> like, there's a reason why we're having the relationships with all the kids being killed when they're, well, they don't even have sex. They all get killed before they even do it. But getting killed with an eggplant, body bagged, all of it. And then they fall out of the float and Malvert says the titular uh, student body, student body. And that's where we cut to the explanation yeah. of the R rating. Ladies and gentlemen, in order to achieve an R rating today, a motion picture must contain full frontal nudity, 
Graphic violence or an explicit reference to the sex act. Since this film has none of those, and since research has proven that R-rated films are by far the most popular with the movie-going public, the producers of this motion picture have asked me to take this opportunity to say, fuck you. Because Toby found the bodies and kind of came out with them, now she's a suspect, which is a really interesting thing I like. And it's similar to Happy Birthday to Me from that time, which is... We talked about all the way at the beginning of, of February, but it is one where the final girl is also a suspect, and we think the killer for a while. So it's an interesting movie that does that, where that hasn't really been the case much outside of those two instances. So I thought that was like a cool idea that the movie yeah, yeah. put forward. But so they send her to uh, Dr. Right. Sigmund. Great line. Looked at. <laughs> he gives her the box of Kleenex with no Kleenex in it. <laughs> and she wipes away her tears the box. Wipes away her tears at the corner of the box. There's a lot of great physical comedy yeah. in that scene. Because he's going up and he's just doing all this stuff. Like rearranging stuff on his desk and in his room. And like switching the phone. And it, when he picks up the phone, we hear the breather on the other end before he sets it back down. So. The breather is always yet another line I'll say that nobody ever gets is don't be so formal. Call me daddy. Yes. And then he crashes his chair. It's he says, call me daddy and just like flings himself back against the wall and crashes the chair. It's that it's call me daddy and punctuated by that chair crash. That's so beautiful. He does all of this rearranging uh, as he's talking to her and then sits down and says, somebody's been using my office. Um, so he's got a whole thing going on there. Don't call me dad. You know, once she tells him about her dad, she's like, he's like, don't call me. Oh yeah. Her father's name is Yuck. <laughs> Yuck, my father. <laughs> he used to beat me and lock me in my room with him in it. Yeah. After she, he finds out about the daddy issues, he doesn't want to be called that anymore. And she's still crying, and so he hands his pipe over to her, and she also wipes her tears away with the pipe. Uh, so good. Everything. Everything is good. I think that's got to be a line from Vaudeville, dude, where, where he, <laughs> uh, he said sex was bad and dirty. Well, what about your mom? She said the same, but only with my father. With everybody else, it was great. <laughs> yes. Very Vaudeville. Yeah, there's a good gamut of joke types. I think that maybe is what works so well is that there's a lot of fresh joke types, right? There's a lot of great physical comedy. There's the, the kind of setup punchline stuff. There's also a lot of really good use of uh like sound yeah, and image differentiation, like making like either making something on the soundtrack really silly but like what's happening visually is very much in the horror movie realm or making just a really funny sight gag. So I think that also They could have done it more. They could have done it more. More, but I don't think they get away or they don't think they do it as much as they could have, but like like the get lazed gag where there's the poster behind the woods teacher and then then Toby has mm-hmm. a lot of pins on her shirt that'll always be like uh, for the last time I said no or like just you know it's like just no. Period. <laughs> like little gags like that. I yeah. think they could do a lot more. They could have done a lot more, and I love that. Um, I love that they put them in there. So much more opportunity that that was lost. But they do some really 
really fun ones throughout it. Miss Mumsley, like after that, Miss Mumsley tells Malvert that if the principal is suspected of being the murderer, that he should take the blame. And they're just walking on the school lawn together, and Malvert is just picking up like discarded food and just like takes a drink out of an old empty cup and then throws it back on the ground, picks up a open chip bag and just like shovels it all down while she's trying to explain what he should do and just says like oh you should you know get used to it you're not lucky with women anyway so you like prison should be good for you and she says homosexuality is the up and coming thing oh miss mumsley i love her uh that was also a thing just watching the movie that like there are jokes like that that are like gay jokes i suppose but they don't i don't know it never really feels homophobic like gay people are kind of accepted and part of this world which i think is pretty pretty cool and chill uh, <laughs> for the early 80s and that cuts right into i i love this sequence the football game there's just so much going on during this football game it's silly it starts with the vendors harassing people. This is something that like flashes in my mind that I'm like, oh yes, there is a movie like this where like the vendors are just very <laughs> aggressive. And I'm like, oh, it was student bodies. <laughs> well, yeah, tell us what happens with the, <laughs> the vendors. If I'm right, it's they're like hot dog. And when, when the person says, yeah, hot dog, he just shoves the hot dog in their mouth. You want mustard? He just squirts the mustard in his face. Yeah. Like pours the drink in his hand and slaps it in his face. It just does that to everyone. You want popcorn and just starts throwing popcorn out to the audience. Just very, very aggressive. They were having a good time. And it wasn't just the one, like there's the one main <laughs> vendor that's doing that. And then the other vendor comes in and it's also that way. And it's, it's yeah. crazy. It's wild. Malvert is there with his blow up doll girlfriend. What other silly things are? The football team is very imbalanced. Like, the one team is, like, junior high the school other- age kids, and the other team is, like, professional football player-looking dudes. Um, very silly. Did you, I don't know if you did, but when I was in high school, I played football. And, and like, junior high, I played some football. And there always seemed to be, at some point or another, there would be that that situation or where it would seem like that situation and the jacked team yeah where you'd come across this team that for some reason everyone would be like holy fuck why are they like like they are twice our size <laughs> like all the parents and the players would be like holy fuck are you, you know you get out of town these guys are on steroids or something yeah yeah but yeah that that is a uh, they play that to great if i'm correct what <laughs> like one of the kids ends up like squeezing out of the squeezing out of the huddle or, or like the you know they all pile on him but he squeezes out and he's naked running down the <laughs> wait wait he, like, he? He oh, i don't remember that i don't remember anyone being naked i just remember him um making friends with the other team i guess team. right he like daps them up it's uh a very silly time i love it garbage gets me hot it is what we learn here as the kids in this scenario are going to the just bleachers and, uh, to get it out. Like insane. <laughs> just garbage. With the soundtrack here. really cranked, so you hear it all just like falling like even harder than it actually is. And Toby 
is obviously gets the pattern at this point, so she's going to go under the bleachers to try to, to stop them, to warm them, but she gets hit in the head with some piece of trash, and it knocks her out, and it points to her. Yeah. Oh, this is an important thing. There are other title cards that come up, so there's a, this big text that comes up with an arrow pointing at her that says, unconscious, this yeah. is an important plot point. But also there's a, a body count throughout yeah, the movie. Yeah. And every time, every every time, almost every time, somebody leaves something unlocked, they'll they'll point that out. Unlocked, unlocked, flashing white title. <laughs> unlocked, unlocked. Yes, a lot of great heavy lifting from the text here. And so she's knocked out. The boyfriend comes back and finds his girlfriend murdered. Yeah, what does he kill her with? Uh, with a eraser. Like a chalk, right. a chalkboard eraser. He's, that's why he's like, what's this white powder? And he tastes it and goes, cut with chalk. Cut with chalk, yeah. No touchdowns. Yeah, the dead, dead bodies on the field. field. I think it was the principal asks everyone, like, everyone who hasn't been uh, arrested before can leave. And so, like, a bunch of people get up. <laughs> and then, I forget what the second Like, if you've had is. nothing to do with this murder, it's... <laughs> Yeah, you can if you have no motive, you can leave. Yeah. And then Malvert's left alone there and like anyone who's has parents of the same sex can go. And that's when Malvert leaves. So, you know, canonically, Malvert has gay parents. That's great. But he also has double whiplash. Has what? Cuz he he was he was was rammed from the front and the back. Oh yeah, he also got double whiplash. Right. Oh, we yeah. He, he we was totally smart until he had double whiplash, and now he's an idiot. Yeah, he went from being a teacher to a janitor, but he appreciated the pay raise, which yes, pay teachers more. There's a yeah. political message in this movie, <laughs> and so then Toby wakes up, and she has to hide with the right. bodies because she's worried that she'll she'll get arrested. And we get a little bit more of kind of the back and forth of these characters. Hardy, her her friend who wants to be more, is there with the teachers, uh, along with the bodies. And the woodshop teacher is like, have you ever seen a dead body? Um, and all the other teachers are like, no, we haven't seen one. So they all look away when he lifts up the, the cover. And- yeah, the cover. And Toby's the only one who sees, or Hardy's the only one who sees Toby there. And so that saves her for now. Dead men tell no tales, but they fart. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't always love a fart joke. Sometimes it's overused. This one works perfectly. Like, that part with the nurse talking about that, which also, right. shout out to that nurse. She's also very funny. Yeah. And this is the breather finally called. The breather does call again. So we get the click line. We get the second click line here. This is where Mrs. Van Dyke uses the click line against the breather. We kind of skipped over the scene where they're in the office, but that was when he was like, I'm going to attack at the football game. And now the breather tells him he's going to attack at the prom. Switching things up there. And then we go on a journey. Oh, yeah. He's speaking through a rubber chicken. I knew it sounded like you're speaking through a rubber chicken. <laughs> chicken lip. Yes. Click. Did you hang up? No, I just said click. She hangs up. 
It's beautiful. My favorite. The every, every day. That's when, like, they get that call and they're like, okay, we have to go get things ready for this prom. So all the adults leave and then Hardy goes to <laughs> help Toby get out from this pile of bodies. She kind of raises up and says, sniffs around and says, where am I, Cleveland? And then I like when the body uh, releases gas again and it parts, the, parts her right out the door into the hallway. I think that's a really funny bit. That's where they go to get disguised in the old Grease costumes and the random ASL pops up. The non-musical version of Grease. Yes, the non-musical Grease. Yeah. Because uh, they couldn't get the right. And that sets up a very silly, stupid joke that I still kind of love, right? Because Toby gets into her sandy, like, yeah. at the end of Grease get up with the, like, tube top and the everything. Yeah. And she's very uh, busty then. So she says that she's stuffed her, her bra with uh, balloons, right? And so throughout the rest of the movie, anytime her, like, chest brushes up against something and makes like a squeaking balloon noise it's so there's also guys funny. telling her hey nice balloon so yeah just the balloon just you know some balloon humor we love a good balloon humor as soon as she walks into prom all the guys are on her immediately and just start offering her drugs it's just uh, like every drug <laughs> yeah they're all teenagers drugs, they want to dance they have full mustaches yeah, well, of course, it was the it was the eighties, after all. And so, I, I mean, her goal is to get the keys from the principal to see what's in his office, um, what more she can learn. That doesn't go exactly well. Right. So she gets Malvert's help, and Malvert uses his lanky body to kind of distract the principal and get the keys away. That may have various part of the movie. His weird Malvert's. Yeah. Uh, contortions <laughs> oh i think it's very exciting <laughs> yeah. the keys and the cheese yes so she goes to the office to kind of snoop around while hardy's going to miss mumsley's office and that's where we also find out that the the oh they call off the prom queen since all the other candidates die um instead of giving it to patty they just decide to right. crown the principal <laughs> King, uh, and we get a good choice. I guess we get another kill. Dimitri's really fed up. Um. <laughs> oh yeah, this part I also really love. So, uh, Patty's boyfriend Cliff, I think. Yep. He's like an ROTC guy, so he's always in uniform and has his gun with him. Well, before they go off, and they're like, "Well, let's get out of here." He says, "Underneath this uniform is the best body in this school," so she's very excited. Yeah, the horse head uh, littered woodshop is where they decide to go. And the woodshop teacher is hiding out there at the time. I don't know. For whatever reason, he didn't want to get... Yeah, he had to release some tension by, by making a horse head at that moment. But he doesn't want to get caught, I guess, being a creep. So he goes and hides while they're in there. One of my favorite sight gags here is Cliff, the ROTC guy, takes off his, like, uniform jacket and we see that he still has yeah. like, the patches that are on his on the uh, the sleeves are also tattooed yeah. on his yeah, yeah. body i don't know why that one gets me but it, it's well, great yeah, yeah. but that's when he leaves so what happens after that 
you might need to walk me through this because this is the part where I start to get like, okay, well, now we're kills. He kills her. Breather comes in and kills her with a chainsaw that for some reason they keep calling it a buzz saw. Yeah, they do keep calling it a buzz saw. It is strange. Yeah, her, yeah, and that's all off screen. We just hear, uh, we watch the woodshop teacher like hear, overhearing all of this, and it's all very wild sounds. Like it goes all over the place. I think it's just like screaming, crashing cars, crashing, yeah. animal sounds. Oh. They just throw it. And the boyfriend the comes back and gets garbage bags. Yeah, <laughs> and then I think the uh, the shop teacher thinks he's gotten away till the bus saw comes cutting through the shelf or the cabin. Yeah, yeah, and that's a pretty good scare, I would say. Like that, it happens suddenly. You aren't really expecting it. So, like in this la- last like fifteen twenty minutes, that there's like a weird stuff where it's trying to be at more of an actual horror movie, which I think gets kind of weird. I feel like those are probably the the parts, or at least it felt like those are the parts where they actually sat down and planned shit out, mm. and and the, make this the movie have any kind of like clunky feel to it are these transitions in between those parts. That's how I always like it to see it. Like even before I knew how people made movies, that's, that's like even kid, I was like, what's yeah. going on at this part? And then, then it felt like an actual movie once you got to one of those kill parts. Yeah. The woodshop teacher gets dispatched uh, unceremoniously, hit over the head. And then he, then he kills with the case. Knocks him over the head with the, the chainsaw or buzzsaw case. Uh, then we cut back to Toby snooping through the principal's office and she finds the cabinet. Well, first she opens mm-hmm. one drawer and spills marbles all over the floor. And the marble thing is very important. Uh, that'll come back in, in a bit. His poster in the background is um, is those that can't do teach. You know, or, you know those that can't Oh, yeah. Those that can do, those that can't be. And so (laughs) she goes into the the cabinet and finds a file with all of the girls who've been killed. Headshots, I guess, uh, with this kind of like slur, like anti-women slurs on them, right? Like slut. Etc. Etc. You get the picture. She only looked in there because the right, the second cabinet or second drawer she looked and said, "Look in the other cabinet." Yeah, she's going through all these file folders <laughs> in his desk, and the yeah. one says to look in the cabinet. Um, very silly. Yeah, but that's when the principal walks in. Also, the yeah, the principal strips down to his very oversized boxers, his like <laughs> below See, the knee box. All these years, I've been secretly naked under my clothes. Yes. <laughs> and the girls never, you know, never recognized that. So that's why he had to uh, yeah. to murder. And he says he wants to show Toby the the trophy. <laughs> so that, then she, does, she tries to call the cops then. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we're busy. Look out behind you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're busy. Look out behind you. And then she tries to use that behind you joke to like yeah. try to trick him. I'm not falling for that. Uh, turns his head very swiftly. See? Very, very good. And he raises the trophy high. He's like, I'll show it to you. And he run- lunges towards her and then slips on the marbles. Impales on the 
trophy. Yes. But we're not done with the reveal because then we also learn Toby goes to Miss Mumsley's office and sees that Hardy has been killed with with a rubber glove in his mouth. And Miss Mumsley reveals that she is also the killer. So she's the one who killed all the boys she was trying to cover up for the principal's uh, weird. (laughs) Like, get rid of any witnesses. Isn't somewhere in here we find the Dr. Sigmund um, like, I tamper with nature as a hobby. Um, oh, yeah. I crossed Yeah, this a... is when she goes to Miss Mumsley's office. She's hiding out there, and we just hear all the other people in the office next door. Yes. Uh, he's like, I crossed a flounder, uh, a walrus, and a horny toad. What did you get? I got a fish with warts and a mustache that can't get a date. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so good. It's the weirdest... <laughs> Again, non sequitur, love it to death. Yeah. But then Miss Mumsley, after she reveals herself, she tries to kill Toby. She says, Hold still while I'm while I kill you. I'm an old woman with arthritis. So so cute. You're the only one that didn't get laid first. But then like <laughs> nobody got laid first. Yeah. <laughs> got them all before they got laid. Not at all. And yeah, this part just devolves into a weird nightmare sequence i'm not sure how i feel about it i i kind of enjoyed it more i guess as a goofy like whatever thing but yeah it's just a chase scene through her in the hallway being chased by like all these in some way like what are we gonna do now guys i don't know we got some yeah so it's like being chased by characters both dead and alive through the hallways of her high school uh, until she comes to this guy who says this way out and she you know jumps out a window and is falling, falling for a very long time. Yeah. She wakes up and discovers it was all a dream. Yeah, and yeah. so she's, you know, and, and everyone, it, oh my gosh, so many good reveals. So like basically everyone in her real life is the opposite of how they were the rest of the movie. Yeah. Ms. Momsley is Mr. Momsley. Yeah. Ms. The Mom principal's the Mom- Malvert is very refined gentleman. Yes, yes. Malvert, you were a janitor. Absurd. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh my uh, she gosh. Had, she had swine flu, right? That's what it was? She had swine flu uh, because sexual repression causes swine flu, as we learn a little <laughs> later on. And, though my favorite part is the, is the woodshop feature. Uh, this is when she first wakes up, and uh, Toby says, I had this dream, and you weren't even my French teacher. I will always be your French teacher. Yeah. <laughs> um, very sweet, very nice. So that part's really fun. We find out Patty is kind of like the nerdy girl, and that, that Toby won prom queen while she was unconscious. Yes. And that uh, Cliff, oh yeah, the... I like in the like Wikipedia summary, it tells us a little bit about this ending, but it says like everyone is different and the local ROTC cadet is a hippie. I'm like, he's not a hippie, he's gay. Like that's that's the joke. <laughs> like what's going on, Wikipedia? I yeah, I guess I could make the correction. But um yeah, that whole thing is very funny. And 
the only people who are normal, right, besides Toby, was uh, Hardy, right? She's like, yeah. well, the only people that were kind of like how they are in real life were you and me. So they go walking. I, I don't know if that's supposed to be the same day or a few days later, but they go out together, and she's like, tells him that she's finally ready to lose her virginity. She doesn't want to get swine flu again. Yeah. But we get another twist ending, right? So what happens at the very end of this movie? He puts on the gloves and chokes her. She dies. And then, of course, the same day they have the funeral. We go, so we go right to the funeral. One uh, hour later, <laughs> we have a funeral. Uh, they bury her. And everybody puts a flower on her grave except for Hardy who he's going to put two on there and he begins to tell her he wants to tell her that and that's when she comes back to life and comes through and begins to choke him and uh, yeah we have the, the carry ending right yeah. coming back out from the grave um, but that, that's where it ends it's great we love it there's too many more like we I tried to highlight the the jokes that work best but there's so many more it's a, a whole gamut of beautiful wonderful jokes not all of them work some of them yeah. are off color it, you go into it with what you go into it but overall i don't think there's too too much that's off-putting right like it's not front to back really off-putting or offensive humor it's like eh, a few things here or there just as a as a warning Depends on how tough your skin is. Uh, I, I, so I know <laughs> you'll be able to take it, but uh, it was I, fun. Yeah, I guess. I just feel like, you know, the 80s, you, you be as cautious or as uncautious as you want with the comedy right. of that era. But I think it's such a great representative spoof. I think it's probably my favorite of that type of movie. I never really got into the scary movies series or uh, that kind of, I don't know spectrum of things even though there's a lot of horror comedies i do i do love and doing this series has like helped me process that a bit more i will always return to this one that being said where can we find you online or in the world if people are looking to hear more from the fantastic christian burnell uh i got a website which links up to everything else i got man i uh it's just the Christian Burnell. It's simply my name, thechristianburnell.com or thechristianburnell.bandcamp.com or thechristianburnell at Etsy, I believe, something like that. <laughs> you can get it all on the website. Um, I do all kinds of stuff and uh, I tattoo out of Wolf Spine Line Tattoo in Joliet, Illinois, if uh, you want me to poke some skin for you. Yeah, poke some skin. Hell yeah. Great. <laughs> well, keep laughing. Make sure to get those horse heads in order and, and keep it creepy. Sometime in the early 2000s, my life was changed when my brother and I first caught student bodies somewhere in the basic cableiverse. And this past weekend, my world changed again when I saw the 1988 film Flesh Eating Mothers for the first time. Available for free on Tubi as of this recording, Flesh Eating Mothers is a low-budget but high-energy horror comedy from director James Aviles Martin, co-writer of I Was a Teenage Zombie. Over a game of bridge, 
The moms of a small suburban town each discover they have been sleeping with the same man, one of the local fathers, who unbeknownst to anyone has a rare STD, one that causes cannibalism in anyone who has been pregnant. Soon, these moms' appetites grow beyond the groceries they can carry, and they turn on their own children and even the town itself. Meanwhile, the police captain is hiding a big secret, and the one officer who knows the truth has become a fugitive on the run. It's up to the teenage children of these flesh-eating moms, a plucky nurse, and a nerdy medical examiner to save the town, if they can make it through the night. As serious as some of those plot details may sound, Flesh-Eating Mothers is a camp classic delivered uh, at the highest pitch of wacky. There is some great practical gore and gross-out moments, and the makeup effects on the mothers as they transform from everyday women to cannibal monsters. Or should I say momsters? I shouldn't? Okay. Is delectably weird. So if you want your suburban malaise to subside, there's no better remedy than a heavy dose of flesh-eating mothers. Next week, we'll move towards some more modern giggles, but until then, keep it creepy. Did you hang up? No, I just said click.